Hi, I'm Valina Wright, host of It's Time You Knew, a podcast aimed at improving women's health. Today, in honor of World Creativity and Innovation Day, April 21st, my guest is Dr. Peter Rollick. He is the founder of Go Get Fit, an app-based platform designed to help you meet your exercise goals with the support of healthcare professionals. His innovative approach, designed on behavioral change principles, years of athletic training, and coaching, in addition to his work as an emergency room physician in Canmore, Alberta, will help us all better understand the importance of physical activity to our health. Only 17% of U.S. adults currently meet the exercise guidelines, which are only 150 minutes of exercise per week. For children, this is an hour daily or seven hours per week. So join me to welcome Dr. Peter Rollick to discuss how we can all improve our health today. Peter, welcome. Thank you, Polina. So, Peter and I have collaborated to a certain extent, trying to figure out ways how we could improve women's health. And Peter, with your background, how can we alleviate patients' fear about being sick, yet not wanting to go to the ER, especially in today's times of the global pandemic? That is an interesting question because fear is what uh, limits people from taking actions and actually applying what would be common sense. I would like to uh, maybe approach it this way is that see, there's four steps, four simple steps to uh, the pandemic and how to navigate this. And they're all easy. One is wear a mask and uh, respectfully require those around you to wear masks also, but do wear a mask properly. You have to have it over your nose. You have to have it properly fitting. People can check that up and that's easy to do. Masks protect others from you, from your respiratory secretions. Number two, after wearing a mask, is uh, social distancing. Two parts to that. Number one is avoid public places where there's uh, gatherings. That's just a common sense thing. And uh, keep six feet apart. This uh, new virus that we're going to be facing, it's less forgiving. And that's why these, these are important habits to have. And the third one is uh, wear a shield. Now, wear a mask protects you from me when I'm wearing a mask. A shield protects me from you. So shields are, uh, especially with this new virus we're going to be looking at, is a smart thing. And uh, number four, as mom and dad told us, as our teachers told us when we were younger, wash your hands. So and the only other thing I'd mention is that feeling sick, you know, it, there should be a helpline you can call if you have something you're anxious about. But going to the emergency department, when you think about emergency departments, they're likely the safest place out there because they clean, 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 and they have precautions. They take measures. So I, I would caution people not to be fearful of emergency departments, but use them and use them in a uh, timely fashion. Emergency departments are really a, a place that you should be going to if you're sick. If you're sick. In the United States, we've seen a lot of people delay care because of the fear of going to the emergency room. When we compare, in my specialty, the number of people diagnosed with uterine cancer over a three-month interval, we looked at a closed system and Kaiser published about a third of the cases that we normally see haven't, haven't been seen. So it's unlikely that uterine cancer dropped a third between this year and last year. There's no other reason than the pandemic. So we are concerned about patients delaying and not showing up when they should for emergency room care. Have you seen a change in 
the stats of what cases or what patients aren't coming forward to the emergency room when perhaps they should? We are seeing people are a lot sicker when they're coming. And uh, when you talk, when I talk to the patients, a recurrent theme is that, well, it's just trying to hold off. And uh, we had an unfortunate situation, which is in the public domain right now, about a young lad in his 30s that passed away because he was avoiding the emergency department uh, with a respiratory illness and uh, he, he succumbed. When it comes down to looking at any chronic diseases that a burden that someone's carrying, take the virus and the pandemic out of the picture. Look at this as if I'm in distress and I'm struggling, what you would do when there's no pandemic is what you should do now. And when it comes down to those situations, like what you're talking about is with cancers, if you're having symptoms, seek medical attention. It's not in anybody's best interest for you not to. Thank you, Peter. I think it does come down to common sense and not delaying care. The pandemic has been difficult, obviously, for everyone, healthcare providers as well. As an emergency room doctor, especially in a pandemic, what's the most difficult part of your job? Over the past uh, decades, um, many times I see things that are avoidable and preventable. The ones that have had the greatest impression on me are the middle-aged individuals, men and women, who are um, have a, a cardiac event or they they have um, diabetes that starts and they and they have severe consequences from any one of the metabolic disease burdens that they could acquire. And when you look at why people don't uh, are, or are not successful at taking care of their health, the main reason is that they just are not supported when they want to get started. They're told what to do, go and do something. And it's like me giving you a set of keys, well, you know, to a car. You've never driven a car before or to, to a truck and say, well, go and drive the truck. We, we need to support people when they're doing things. We might have to give them some instructions, but we need, we need to support them. And that's what we don't do. And I have, uh, the, the thing that I find most troubling is when those illnesses we see that are preventable and, they, and the person should not have been there if somebody had supported them in the, in the community. When we look at preventable disease, um, heart disease is probably the number one that comes to mind and often is tied back to lifestyle in part because of the known risk factors. Of all the different things, research is showing more and more how important the role of exercises in maintaining our health. Often people think of exercise as fitness, but more and more research is documenting how important exercise is to health. In your opinion, how important is the role of exercise in maintaining health? I would, uh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to throw that question to a different angle here. The role of exercise is not to exercise. The role of exercise is to be supported in starting. If we don't provide support for people in starting to exercise, they are not going to have um, any chance of uh, being successful. Studies show that when you look at trajectory studies of what happens with our um, students in, in high school, and they do linear following of how active somebody is in high school and then literally what happens when they, when they hit their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And if we do not lay down the skill sets for adults when they're in school, they will never be active. 
There's very few people that can break that when it's set down in school. And so the role of exercise is to go and start when we're dealing with students. The second role of exercise is to support people when they're adults, when they're trying to break a trajectory that they're stuck in from not being active when they're younger. Of your listeners, if they can just ask themselves, what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as active as I could be. Why is that not? It's not because a person's lazy, not because they don't have motivation. It's because they have not gained the self-efficacy, the confidence and the ability to see themselves being successful from when they were children, when they were students, um, teenagers, adolescents. That is where the feeling is. So people are not at fault. The system, and, and we can't blame things in the system, but what we need to do is we need to provide supports because the role of exercise in the end is that when you look at cardiovascular disease, it has a profound difference in outcomes. After an event, somebody has a cardiac event, the reentry back into uh, the hospital, if they're active, is highly unlikely relative to if they were not active. For people with cancer and they're receiving chemotherapy, you add exercise to chemotherapy and you double the effectiveness of the chemotherapy. There's no other drug out there like that. Exercise is an excellent drug. And all you have to do is to start with just putting the shoes in your feet. And literally, it's that easy. Just put the shoes in your feet and do something. You can go for a walk. Walk 10 minutes initially or 5 minutes initially. And just keep on doing it every day or do it a couple times a day, tell people. Or you can get out and you can, you can exercise in your house. And darn it, you could even go and put your, you could start dancing with the shoes. But the most important thing is to put, have a set of shoes that your exercise shoes and put them on your feet. And that means starting to do something. It's that simple. You breathe a little bit heavy, you sweat a little bit, and you smile. So you addressed my next question, which was, if you've never been physically active or enjoyed exercise in your past, how would you recommend that someone start? and establish a new habit? That is a great question. What's promising here about this is that you should just start by putting the shoes in your feet. And I even tell people to take a piece of paper, put a smiling face on it, and, and put that paper, put your shoes beside the door so when you come home or when you wake up in the morning, put them on the chair beside the table. So in the morning, the shoes are on the chair beside the table or in, in the bathroom. And put a paper in there and say, please take me for a walk. When you come home, if that's when you're doing it, you do it then. In the mornings, that's you just put some place where it breaks a pattern that you've had before. And you know what? Don't go and start off with 30 minutes a day and 150 minutes a week. Please don't do that. Start off with five, 10 minutes a day. Because the most important thing, when you look at self-efficacy, if you have a low scheduling self-efficacy for activity, you're less than 17% likely you're going to be there in two to eight weeks. If you have a high scheduling self-efficacy, that means as a, as a kid or as a student, you likely did activity regularly, then you're over 70% likely you're going to be there. Scheduling self-efficacy is the hardest thing to overcome because people just don't schedule it as a priority. The way you make it a priority is you interrupt your usual pattern. You even put it on your, on your light stand. When you wake up in the morning, you got those damn shoes sitting beside you and you go and you say, okay, I got to put them on my feet. And uh, like Dr. Wright or Dr. Rollock said, just go out and just walk for five minutes. You start doing that, that scheduling, you've broken that scheduling self-efficacy loop, 
Now you're likely to be 70% success rate from just doing that one small thing. Could I tell you about a study we did at Red Deer Regional Hospital? Yes. We ran a small little project uh, with Pilot, and uh, we received a grant to do it. And we all we did is we took the patients and we said, the only thing you had to do was schedule putting the shoes on your feet while you're in bed, nothing else. And you had to log it. And so it showed up on this app that we have. And you could see it. And you, you so the doctor come by and say, great, you did great. Anybody who scheduled more than two times while in hospital, and all they did, scheduled putting the shoes on their feet, when they left hospital, where the results are usually at 10 weeks after a cardiac event, only 20% of people are active enough from what they were told to do. The rest go and fall back to their own patterns of behavior. In this situation, 86% were active enough, and they were just supported once a week to just schedule putting the shoes on their feet, and their exercise was increasing. That's how simple it is. It's scheduling. It's not about how many minutes or what I'm going to be doing. It's about just schedule it and put the shoes on your feet. Like I said, you can walk, you can exercise in the house, or you can dance for all you want to do. But just do 10 minutes at least and make sure you're breathing heavy, make sure you're sweating, and smile. So that sounds really easy. And as you know, we've worked on a pilot for women recently diagnosed with uterine cancer to try and increase their activity. And often it's hard to have that conversation to get people more active. And there's lots of reasons uh, my patients give me that they're not. And to overcome that, you, you have to have the motivation and understanding to change and want to have a healthier life. How do you motivate people to do the scheduling, to even consider that? The reason, the reason I say it, and it, the answer might be different for men and for women, because when you ask men why they exercise, the common answer is to feel better, and they do feel better, and they schedule it and make time. And for women, almost always they answer, there's an occasion or event that they want to look better, like a wedding. They want to exercise to lose weight right? And that doesn't always motivate someone on a daily basis. So what would you say when you're facing a, a situation where you're trying to motivate someone so that it's intrinsic and they have the desire to change? How do you enhance that? Even if, if they've had a health crisis, we're told that's the best time to intervene. But we don't want to wait for a health crisis. We want people to have an understanding that if they exercise, they will actually feel better and enjoy life more. But it's hard sometimes to convince people of that. Good. That's right in my wheelhouse. Nobody's motivated to get sick. 110%. Nobody's motivated to get sick. Motivation to do something, though, there's a number of things that are tied into it. And they're, they're simple baskets. Number one is fear of failure. Number two is I tried and I failed before, so I don't really see myself being successful. But at the end of the day, all those are underlined by one thing. When you add all the different reasons people have for not exercising, it's because it comes down to either fear of failure or I just don't think I can do it. I, it's important for me, but I just don't think I can do it, Dr. Wright. And all that they need to know is that it's not what they do. It's that they start and they're supported. And, and I'll, I'll keep on coming back to this. The drum that I'm beating is that I'm here to support you. I'm here for you to do this on your terms, where you want to and how you want to. 
the people right now, 70 to 80% of them have a gym phobia. When I, I was a national team athlete before, and when I jump into the uh, gym now to go and exercise, and I see all the other national team that when I was younger, all these other athletes going and exercising, I look in the mirror, I look at them, I look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm going to go for a walk or do something else outside because I don't fit into that. And I, I'm fairly confident, but I can tell you one thing. When I've seen people, I, I get intimidated by people throwing things around. And, and I'm, I'm not dressed like them anymore. And I don't exactly look like them anymore either. So it's it, <laughs> my point is that people, and yet, you know what we do? We tell people, we'll go to the gym. But if all you're doing is throwing people into a facility, into a box, we weren't, exercise was not created in a box. Let them do it outside. Let them walk initially. Let them start to go and gain that self-efficacy so they have a bit of swagger. Then when they go to the gym, they have things they want to do, and they know that they're a lot more likely to belong than not belong. The other thing about exercising outdoors is often it's a very social event, so it can bring positive reinforcement from that aspect as well by finding something that engages you and a friend or a family member. Your app allows that, actually. It has support people that you can allow to see your set goals, correct? Correct, yeah. It's, it's, there, it's there to network. The most important support you can have is from a healthcare provider, from a professional. But healthcare providers don't have a lot of time, do they? So you need to have a portal that allows you to have that time. There's a really common statement that if you have a goal and you write it down, you're 10 times more likely to achieve that goal than if you don't. So using an app and setting a goal, I guess that's the modern day way of writing it down on paper. But certainly the way our mind and brains work, if, if we don't have a vision or a goal, we're really going to be less likely to achieve it. Is that supported by the data you see in your app, for example, on the data that you see collected from people trying to become more active, who are obviously motivated because they signed up for the app and they were onboarded to the app, is there a way to predict who will or will not be successful in achieving the goal looking at the data? If you look at people, definitely establishing what your commitment is, why, why you're there is important. And without doing that, it's highly unlikely to, for someone to be successful. But to go and move forward, to go and continue to participate, the most important thing is how you articulate that, is that you detail what your goal is and, what, and why, why you're doing things. You have to know your why, but it can't be just, I want to get healthier. That's not a strong why. And I'm, I'm sorry if anybody does that. You see a very uh, much lower probability of success if you can actually really articulate, uh, that means detail, what is important to you and put that in when you write down your commitment in the app, then your likelihood of success is markedly greater. Plus the professional that's working with you, when they're providing support, when you're doing things remote from them, they can go and they can, they can review, they can look at that when they, when they are talking to you, when they're counseling you, if, there's, if you're having struggles. That is really important. So. An app really is a way for people to connect virtually, which during a pandemic is more valuable than ever before. Based on your experience of research with the app and health outcomes, what do you think is the most promising 
technology that we can apply to healthcare now to improve uh, health outcomes for our patients? Unequivocally, um, the most important technology is one that makes it easy for the healthcare provider. Healthcare providers, right. I mean, we're very limited in time and often our models of care are disease-based. But more and more, I think, especially now with a pandemic and focus on public health and comorbidities, we need to move to make people healthier and not wait necessarily for them to develop disease. No, you're exactly right. But the thing is, we are at a disadvantage as healthcare providers. There, there is so much of um, a disease burden out there right now. We need to be able to scale up our ability to go and be able to reach hundreds of people per provider. That's the change that we've taken in the technology is, is to go and create an opportunity for healthcare providers to spend just a few minutes a week to support hundreds of clients because of what, because of what happens inside the, um, the technology in the hands of the patient. They have 24 behavior change tools that are working for them all along. And then you provide that added healthcare provider support where they can spend just a few minutes a week to manage uh, hundreds of clients. That's what's important. Without those constructs being in place, there is no foundation to build change on besides a one-to-one model, which is we've shown that the one-to-one model is not scalable, is going to be continue to fall behind. We need something that works. We need something that connects people. Uh, we need something that builds self-efficacy, where they can regain agency over their lives, over a bit of their lives. And the only way to do that is to get them to be active. Because without being supported and without being recognized for what they're doing by somebody you value, a professional, the motivation that people have when it faces the challenges of, of life, the day-to-day challenges, motivation will get crushed. Because motivation is only getting out of the blocks. You don't keep on running if the fans aren't cheering, if the support is not there. And the support does not have to be every day. All it is is that you know that somebody is going to jump in once a week and just tap you in the shoulder, virtual tap, and say, hey, Felina, you're doing great. Keep it up. And that's, that is the recognition that makes a difference. I think often, as you know, healthcare providers, we give advice or we write a prescription. And what happens when the patient leaves our office is really not well documented. Uh, there was recent study published for the use of oral medications as chemotherapy for breast cancer. And to everyone's surprise, it was less than a third of the patients were actually taking the medications at home. The same thing with antibiotics. Yeah. So, you know, the the doctor may tell the patient to do it, but what actually happens in reality? So what happens, my point for this is what happens every day at home is going to have more impact on health than what occurs in a doctor's office once a year or once every three or four months as a follow-up visit. So your point about virtual connections more frequently, supportive of the patients with a, a means of tapping a virtual tap to, to catch those patients that we think are falling off the off of their regimen or their commitment to trying to be more active. But also the other thing too, William, is to take it one step further, is we need to support people so they're recognized when they are successful too. And the whole thing about it is that it has to be done with time economics because providers can't be making individual calls. 
They can't be sending individual emails. We need to scale that out. And that's that's again where where the technology, what we what we've worked on, it works for schools. That's why we're running a project out in, in a large city high school. We're starting off with six thousand students that are online learning. It, it worked with the Healthy Habits Start Here project we did at Red Deer Regional. And we've, we've run it through a school in uh, a major uh, academic high school in Edmonton, Archbishop MacDonald High. And the impact is that students are active, more than 250% self-initiated, self-directed activity. They're doing it on their own. What you are saying is when a student or when a patient walks out that door, they face the challenges of life. If you don't support them, if you don't provide support, you all the talking and all the motivation and the excitement they have before they walk out that door and they face the day-to-day of life is futile. We need to change the model. We need to support people in their journey. So I'm quite familiar with the app as I used it personally to train for the Boston Marathon. And I have to say, <laughs> I'm not a runner. I couldn't run probably more than two miles. And when I use the app, you get a sense that you have a supportive team of experts behind you. And maybe they're not really there, but you believe in the app and you have your commitment to your schedule. And when you're lying in bed and you don't want to get up, you just think about, oh no, I made this commitment and I have my goal. And so then you get out of bed and you you do you know, the exercise that you scheduled so that you could reach your goal. And so I know in addition to the app, Peter, we had conversations and you helped me immensely with your experience as an athlete to be able to accomplish that goal of finishing the marathon. And I remember I was trying to finish in under six hours <laughs> because if you if you take longer than six hours, they don't record your time. <laughs> and when I made the last turn, the clock said like five hours, 58. And so I actually sprinted to the end with you in, in uh, mind. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so your your app is really helping us in many different ways accomplish our goals. And I think it's immensely important that we deliver healthcare in a different way because the patient population is less healthy now than it was even 10 years ago. If we use one measure of health and weight and body mass index is often used. And the stats for that are sobering in that more than 75% of the U.S. population by 2030 will be overweight or obese. And we know that's a, a comorbidity or an association. It doesn't mean that everyone that is overweight is unhealthy. There's other factors, obviously, that play into that. But certainly, we need to do different things in healthcare to really support patients and understand better the reasons they, they're not achieving the health that we would hope that everyone could enjoy and actually deserves. I agree. But I think it's important for people to realize it's not their fault. But if they have an interest to get started, seek out to be supported by your healthcare provider and to be supported in your journey. And that's that's not just, I'll come back in six months and see you again. Tell me how you're doing. It's about being supported along, along the way. And I don't. it doesn't matter what you use, what technology you use, whether you're using Go Get Fit or wh- whatever you're using. We just need to go and have people regain agency. And so they need to be supported when they walk out the door. And I keep on, that's my my anthem of what of what's important is that people don't lack motivation. People lack the support when they face the challenges of life. And all they need 
is just like you said, have somebody in their court. And yeah, they, they, we have a line of sight on my uh, pro portal. I have a line of sight on how a couple hundred people are doing. And basically it takes me, you know, less than 10 minutes a week. It's that easy. But for the person with the app in your hands, it's about knowing that that this is about support, not about about being compared to somebody else or anything. It's about you being supported on your journey and only your journey, because that's all that matters in the end. Very well stated. Thank you again for joining us this evening. I hope more people will be able to achieve their health goals and feel better, because that's really the bottom line, is we want our patients to enjoy life and they deserve good health. So however we can support them, I think we need to do more for them to achieve these goals. And on my end, I don't want them to become patients of the emergency department. I want them to, to be able to be healthy <laughs> and not have to use us. And that's that means that I've, I've accomplished my task and my goal. So Peter, to end, we'll go full circle. So COVID-19 has changed healthcare the experience for our patients, but also the experience for us as physicians. A recent survey showed that healthcare professionals, one in five, are considering either quitting or retiring early. Because of that stat and the impact it's had on the way we communicate and work, our department instituted a study with your support that does a baseline wellness survey and then allows anyone that is interested in healthcare in obstetrics and gynecology at our institution to sign up for use of the app, followed by a survey three months uh, from the initiation of the study. So with your experience as a former world-class athlete and as a physician, what is it you think that makes an individual successful as part of a team? The most important part uh, as an athlete was to be supported because just as part of any team, that connectedness is what makes the difference. To be connected to a coach, to be connected to a team, is what brings up our game. And especially in medicine and when we're in training, to have that, uh, especially some regular form of connectedness and having it based through activity and through healthy practices, I think that's that's the jewel that we've been uh, missing, the, ma the magic in going through residency. And I know I, I didn't have it when I went through and I'm really hoping that uh, in, the, in the use of the application that our, uh, our young colleagues are going to be coming up feel equally supported uh, like I did as an athlete. That's uh, pretty important information or observation because I know as a surgeon, uh, I can't be successful unless every member of my team in that room is on the same page with the same goals mm -hmm. too. So um, communication, communication, <laughs> communication, and support is is so critical to define a culture that enables all of us to be successful patients and doctors, right? Because we really are all on the same team. And adding to that is to go and uh, be physically engaged and connected with your health journey also, so that you can be able to perform at a high level within that team too, on a daily basis. And one final question then. So where we put an emphasis on physical activity and fitness, it overlaps significantly with health. How do you think the app is going to be accepted by both our patients and, and peers so that they can use it on a daily basis? For example, if one of our listeners wanted to sign up for the Go Get Fit app and try to implement some 
self-defined exercise goals, how would they do that? What, what are the steps they would take? The steps are easy. Search goget.fit. You go to the contact us page as a, as a provider, fill in the uh, form, and um, we will get in touch with you and just select uh, one of the check boxes, whether you're a healthcare provider, an educator, or a fitness provider. We'll get in touch with you within 24 to 48 hours and you're started. So if you're a patient, though, and you'd like to sign up and you're either in the U.S. or Canada, are you able to do that without your provider being part of the GoGetFit network or app? Yes, you have as a user or as a patient, you can search GoGet.fit, hit the contact page and fill in the form and don't select the healthcare provider, educators or fitness provider, but select the user uh, box. All right. Well, thank you again. And best of luck with the Go Get Fit app. Thank you. Thank you, Valina. Thanks for listening. Peter and I hope understanding the journey to better health starts with self-efficacy, the belief that you can do it. You can do those 150 minutes per week and become one of the 17% of adults meeting the American Cancer Society guidelines for physical activity. We're here to support you in achieving your health goals and decreasing your cancer risk. Increasing physical activity one step at a time is part of the journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can visit my website, valinawrightmd.com. Subscribe by email to receive the top five ways to improve your health and wellness or direct message me on Instagram. It's time you knew.